Will gets the puck for Carrier. He gets stripped, taps the loose puck for Kessel. He scores! Kessel from below the goal line! Because one hour isn't enough. We welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Knights grab it on the right wing side. Smith to the point. Petrangelo scores! Set up by Riley Smith. Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at lbsportsnetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Sticks down, drop the puck, let's go. We are underway in the VGK Insider Show, halfway through a uh, tee-up to a great game tonight between two Pacific Division rivals. The Vegas Golden Knights hosting the Edmonton Oilers, the back half of a home-at-home. Vegas won the opener 4-3 in overtime. The magical four-goal mark continues to be the search, the quest, the uh, ultimate goal uh, of the Vegas Golden Knights because when they score four this year, they are undefeated. Hmm, There you go. Then there's the idea of putting more distance between themselves and the Edmonton Oilers in the race for first place, and you've got the added bonus of a potential clinching scenarios that are on the line tonight uh, involved in this game and then throughout the Western Conference. There's a lot of different moving parts. Uh, We'll get into Bruce Cassidy in just a moment, Uh, his thoughts uh, going into this game. Uh, One of the last few home games left on the calendar, and you got to factor that in as well. Yeah, just three more on the docket for the Vegas Golden Knights. You've got uh, Minnesota, you've got Los Angeles, you've got Seattle over the next uh, two and a half weeks for the Vegas Golden Knights beyond this one. So not a lot of runway left here in the regular season at T-Mobile Arena and really not a, a lot of runway left in the regular season. Uh, I'm kind of surprised, but we are in the single-digit games. We've got eight more beyond tonight, and that's uh, it's pretty wild when you consider where the Golden Knights kind of went into this season, what they were looking to do and, and needing and wanting to prove and where they're at right now playing some of their best hockey down the stretch couple of narratives that have uh, gnawed at us throughout the year. Mm. Home ice. Yeah. Now, they've been incredible (laughs) wire to wire (laughs) on the road this year. Yeah, fantastic. But the the home ice record Mm -hmm. is now eight games above 500 Mm -hmm. at 22-14-1. Yep. Have we dismissed that? Have we jumped the shark on that? I, as we've talked about multiple times over the course of, you know, the back half of the season, I I just felt like it was an anomaly. Like it was going to, at some point, kind of regress to the mean and you were going to get a better representation of what this team actually is on home ice. I think that that narrative's put to bed. I think that this is a Golden Knights team that's as good as they've been all throughout their existence on home ice. I think they... They're comfortable at home. They're comfortable on the road. They believe they can win anywhere in the league, and you need that belief going into the playoffs. What about inside the Pacific Division? They just went on a road trip Mm -hmm. and beat three division rivals all away from T-Mobile and are now up to 11-8-2. They've had good stretches uh, at home, start of the year Mm 4-1. But what they've done lately inside the division is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's impressive. It's important. I think it's good for the Golden Knights to kind of go on that run, or at least the run that they've been on here against the Pacific Division. I am going to heavily weight the games that they play against their potential opponents, right? I, 
you weigh the games that they that they played against the Calgary Flames because Calgary still is a potential first round opponent for the Golden Knights. You're really going to be glued into how the Golden Knights play against the Los Angeles Kings when they play them. This game against the Edmonton Oilers it, it means a little bit more to me uh, certainly than the game on Thursday against the San Jose Sharks does in terms of where they stand within the within the division. Um, and then the the same it can be said about the Seattle Crack and you've got a home a home and home. To finish off the year against Seattle, that's going to be, in my estimation, uh, some important games just to determine where the Golden Knights are going to finish, who they're going to play in the first round. So those games matter more to me. But I, I think that for the Golden Knights, it's it's a nice run that they're on right now against the Pacific Division. You don't have to worry about all the teams in the division, but the teams that you could see in the playoffs, those are the ones that matter more to me. They're 6-1 and one in their last seven inside the division. Yeah, well, That surprise you? Not that not number doesn't really. surprise you. No, it doesn't because I never really looked at there being much of an issue with the division. I, I know that there were. There Can was, I just should interject yeah, here? Yeah. After the the loss against the Calgary Flames, mm-hmm. I sat in a media conference yeah. where there was multiple questions sure. about struggles inside the division, and and that was the only loss in the last seven games inside the division and, where they've got six wins. And and I was on the radio doing the post-game show, and, and I, I heard it too. But I guess my point is there was a stretch of hockey where the Golden Knights were playing a lot of divisional games where they just weren't very good, right? There were there was a stretch of, of hockey where the Golden Knights were at home in certain situations, and there were slumps, and they just weren't playing well, and they just weren't getting results. And that's kind of where those numbers skewed for me. But I, I think overall, when you look at the Golden Knights with all six defensemen in and, and this team kind of moving in the right direction, I think they're perfectly fine against the division. So you don't worry about the middle of the season and that fall off inside the division? Because there, there, there was a, yeah. a trip up there. I, I don't worry about it because of how they've rebounded. I don't either. Right? I, I don't worry about it because, you know, it's, it's a long season. It's a long 82 games. It's a long six months uh, that you're going at this, that you're grinding. It's no real surprise to me that, you know, kind of from Thanksgiving to Christmas to, to a degree, like there were some lulls for the Golden Knights, dog days of the season, whatever you want to call it. But what I've liked out of this team is how they've responded to it. After you get a little bit of time away, after you're able to kind of just reset with the bye week and the all-star break, this team's gone on an absolute tear. They've been fantastic, one of the best teams in the league, and I think that that's a more accurate representation of what they are as opposed to what they did in you know November and early December. So we've got the home ice record. It's really solved itself. Yeah. The competition inside the division has really been weighed heavily in favor of success of the Vegas Golden Knights, 6-1 mm-hmm. uh, in the last seven. There's another conversation topic. Okay. This is the last uh, of the three. Okay. Power play. Yeah. Do you know where the Vegas power play ranks in the National Hockey League? 16? I think that would surprise a lot of people. Yeah. Because the narrative about the power play is so negative Mm -hmm. that exactly halfway in the National Hockey League would blow a lot of people. If you just listen to the commentary of Mm -hmm. some of the fans or some of the media Mm -hmm. and you got – and you never check the actual numbers and the rankings, I think middle of the pack would surprise you. Yeah, and I'll take middle of the pack when you kind of consider who's not in the lineup. We saw the Golden Knights power play in December go 
absolutely bananas. And a lot of it had to do with Mark Stone and what he brings to the table and everything kind of clicking and them finding their stride. And they went on a historic run there. Now, with that being said, I think that, you know, the, the power play can always get better. It can always improve. You can always have better stretches. But I think the Golden Knights power play kind of on the whole throughout the entirety of the season is about middle of the pack when it comes to the NHL. And, and I think that when you have a strong five-on-five game and when you're a good, good penalty-killing team and when you can win in a lot of different ways, middle of the pack's going to do you... But that's not the narrative, right? Would you agree with no, me? No, it's that? not. It's not. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking at it through a narrative. I'm looking at it objectively, right? Like, I think that... I think that for the Golden Knights, like, you always want your power play to come through for you. You always want it to be a difference maker. At times this season it has been. At times it's gone cold. And I think that, you know, up and down in the middle is is what they are. You know what the uh, stupidest stat is in the National Hockey League? I'll tell you right now. That's a rhetorical question. Okay. It's power play rankings home and on the road. I don't understand why that exists. <laughs> because nobody's nobody's matching the other team's power play Nothing based on changes. last change. Right? Yeah. No, you're right. And home and road records, there's a lot of things that, that, that can be interpreted because of last change. Yeah. But not the power play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any difference. I'm not putting out X, Y, and Z on my penalty kill based on what you do in the power play. I'm mm-hmm. putting out my best penalty killers to start Mm -hmm. and you're putting out usually your best power play guys to start sure bruce isn't matching Connor mcdavid versus the second unit tonight i don't understand why they break it down on home penalty kill and home uh power play road penalty kill road power play so just just in case you're wondering the, I, I the Edmonton Oilers. This this is you. amazing though. Edmonton. This it sums it up for you. Yeah. It, it, this is this proves my point. The Edmonton Oilers are first overall. Mm-hmm. They're first at home mm-hmm. at thirty two point one. Mm-hmm. Best power play at home. Mm-hmm. They're the best road power play at thirty one point eight. Yeah. That's yeah basically the same. Yeah. Now Vegas does have a difference. Because they've they've scored so many goals on the road this year, mm-hmm. uh, they are sixth in the National Hockey League, right? Number six, yeah, in road power play, and twenty sixth at home. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I don't either. But it has nothing to do with strategy. That's for sure. Are you I, with me on yeah, that? Yeah, no, just I, I'm I'm with you. I don't know that there's a need for a breakdown other than to just kind of let you know what's happened at home and, and on the road. I don't know that I don't know that there's anything you can pull from that that's going to be helpful in understanding it. Like the, the Edmonton Oilers power play is elite at home, on the road, doesn't matter. Um, and the Golden Knights have a discrepancy, but it all kind of leads you to the same spot where you know, you're, you're hoping for you get four power play opportunities, three power play opportunities in a game. You're you're hoping for a goal to kind of help you and aid you, and, and that's where the Golden Knights are. I got uh, one thing that I want to say about Bruce Boudreaux, and uh, we have had some fun about uh, the podcast, the Chirp Podcast, but he was with me uh, the other day, and he really does size up the Western Conference yeah. and who to look out for, who uh, has an opportunity to make some decent runs, and who might be just 
playing with house money. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. So uh, check that out with Bruce Boudreaux. And if you're a dog lover, there's an added bonus. Okay. With with Bruce Boudreaux and how dog and when he lost his job in Vancouver, mm-hmm. like this, you you've never been through this in your career, but there's certain situations where uh, you leave a company, and mm-hmm. it may not have any. A person uh, once told me, it's amazing how many good people get let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bruce Boudreaux is one of those guys. Yeah. It, it wasn't going to work in Vancouver. It was toxic uh, between management and the coach, uh, but he was left out there to, to wither. Uh, it's pretty cool who phoned Bruce Boudreaux. Hmm. Actors? Commissioner? <laughs> people from Slapshot? Remember Bruce Boudreaux yeah, yeah, yeah. was in, was in yeah. Slapshot? Yeah. Uh, going all the way back to the movie Slapshot. Actors. And from Mile uh, 40, Saskatchewan, yes. where he now runs a donut shop. Yes. Bruce Boudreaux, <laughs> people got in touch with him. And I said, how do people get your number? He's like, I don't know. They just, they just do. They just do. They, That's great. They, I don't know. I don't know how they, they, they do it. Maybe yeah. they phone Wayne. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, cool. Check out Bruce Boudreaux uh, on, the, on the chirp. But uh, here's Bruce Cassidy hmm. on the game ahead tonight against the Edmonton Oilers. A lot of matchup stuff uh, going on here. Uh, division opponent. Uh, there's that conversation. Uh, coming forward, and as well as how he's going to approach these final nine games with his goaltenders, Bruce Boudreaux at City National Arena. Have you this good playoff prep in a way? Um, yeah, uh, knowledge on division opponents. Uh, we've got a lot coming up, so that's good. Uh, conference opponents, um, good test. I think teams are on top of their game this time of year. It forces you to be on top of your game. Or you won't have success, so that's always good. Um, so yeah, it's good prep for the playoffs and just good prep for your team game to get your game in order. <clears throat> How different do you expect the matchups to be in this one compared to one up there? Uh, it won't be a whole lot different for us. We got four lines we trust to play in any situation. Um, we know they use their top two lines a lot, um, maybe more than we would, or definitely more than we would. So we're comfortable with whoever's out there against them. If we see something we don't like, obviously that we got a line going, that then we'll we'll turn it that way. You might see deep pair matchup, maybe a little with Alex out the other day. It became a you know it's a tough one for Heidi to go right in. Yet Petro plays against top lines every night, so I think we were trying to balance Heidi's minutes and uh, still get a, a matchup that we thought would be good for us. So we'll see a little more of probably that at that end of the bench than maybe up front. I don't think so. I think we want to play well no matter what if we were in or four or five points away. I mean, it's step one, right? It is the first thing you have to do if you want to reach your ultimate goal is got to get in. So, yes, there's importance in it, but I don't know if the guy, it's going through the guy's head, to be honest. We did not bring it up. I think it's more about our team game. It will be brought up once it's done, but I don't think it'll matter to the guys who's brought up or not either. They they want to get there, obviously, but it's not going to affect. And what I mean by that is that it's not going to affect whether they get nervous or more tense or whatever. I think that we're going to play our game no matter what. Well, I think it's it's important. It's just that you know it's it's those touches when you go back on puck are more on pucks are more important. And when you have familiarity, I think getting it out of your end clean is usually the start of a good hockey game, right? You're not spending time in your end, you're attack you're in attack mode. So there's a lot of value in that that 
I think the competition amongst the pairs too. I think actually Hag and Whitey have really stepped up this this second uh, whatever March February whatever uh, quadrant or, or third of a season you want to put it in. So that makes it even better, right? Because now you're not taxing other guys. So. Um, I've said it all along. I think any good hockey team starts there. You got to have a decor that values what they're doing, keeping their puck out of their net, getting the fo- uh, puck into forwards' hands, and, and giving them some easy transition. Uh, maybe that's because I was an old D-man. But I just I feel that that without that, you're, you're having a tough time because I think the forwards suffer because they're not seeing pucks at the right time, and then the D are scrambling around, guessing maybe because they don't trust their D. So that's that, that's just my opinion. I think it's invaluable. <clears throat> Top two pairs, do you view them kind of interchangeable in terms of like the style they play, or do you think they're you like to get certain? No, I think uh, Johnny's done a good job. Like he's he's comfortable with both, and as I said, I think now Whitey, we're trying to build Whitey and Hager into those top matchups without disrupting what we're doing. They've done a good job, so no, I think they're going back to the top four. No, I think Theo and Marty. Maybe you're looking at, okay, who's the forward group out there? Because Theo can really transition the puck, so maybe that'll affect if there's a certain forward line matchup that I'm looking for. Johnny might put Theo out there, let's say an Eichel line that's a transition line. So that, that might be where the difference comes in. That Because um, Theo has that, I mean, all our D do, but he has the ability to really spring people, like those easy transition, like he can make one outlet pass and all of a sudden you're on a three on two and he has that. That's his best. I think he's our best defenseman at that. Even though they can all do it well, he's the, the one that seems to find a way every game to, to to get some of those rushes. So we'd like to use a, a rush line with him as much as possible. To, so as a group of five, they're benefiting. Is there anything in the top of the league in terms of uh, about spreading your ice time around your top four to your bottom four? It's, it's a small gap. Is that indicative of what you? Well, I think it's both, Gary. I think I've always tried to build a fourth line wherever I've, um, and 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 give them a, a, a strong role, right? Starting games, playing against top teams. D, you know, D zone matchups is not fun necessarily, but it's still something they can grab onto. And um, and then and then the second part of that is it's a long season. So if you're running your first line out there over and over, I think it can catch catch up to you. But that would depend on their age a little bit. You know, we'll go back to Boston. Bergeron and Krejci were getting older, so we tried to manage it a little better for them. Uh, whether they thought that was right or not, I don't know. But I, I think at the end of the day, they appreciate it. So when playoffs come, you're not as taxed those extra few minutes. Um, if you have a high-end guy like McDavid that's got 140 points, you probably need to use them more, right? That's just the way it is. So I don't know if you can necessarily do it in that case. We don't have that guy. Maybe we will. You know, we certainly have high-end players, but not quite, you know, not at that level. He's on a kind of a, as they say, planet of his own. So I think it's what I like to do, and then it becomes personnel-driven. You know, and some players will come to you. I need to play more to get into the game. And if they're those top guys that need to play, then you got to consider that and then go away from maybe what you think as a coach. So... But so far, we haven't had to do that. I think the guys have bought into it. Um, it's worked out. I don't know what we're going to do there. Let's get him, Let's get LB going in this rotation. Let's find out where LT is when he gets back on the ice. That may affect what we do. But right now, um, that's what it will probably look like, yes.
we always focus on McDavid, Dreisaitl, and their power play. What else makes them good? Well, they can score five on five because they're dangerous all over the ice. McDavid, it's in space, right? Anytime there's a turnover, he could be gone. So um, for him, it's anywhere. Uh, Dreisaitl as well, he's just seems to be more that shooter on the power play where you start there. I think McDavid, it's everywhere. And that's no disrespect to Dreisaitl because, like I said, you don't get all your points in the power play when you have over 100. So I think it's just their ability to... Uh, they're both uh, elite passers of the puck, so you, you got to count for the people around them. Uh, they both drive their lines. They play together at times, so now we got a you know a two-headed sort of monster. You just don't have any weaknesses on the offensive side of the puck, so you're always trying to go the other way. Okay, how can we you know neutralize them? Well, in overtime, he was on the bench. Don't let him on the ice again. Control the puck as, as well as you can. So that's a small sample size. Um, you know, for me, is hang on to pucks in the ozone. Make them check the puck back from you, him or the D, so that they don't have it all the time. Those are it's easier said than done, but that that is a a good way to neutralize a bit of their offenses, force them to defend. How do you do that? Well, hang on to pucks down low. Don't turn it over. Make them go 200 feet. There's all those different things, but so that you can get numbers back. That, that's the way I look at it. But what makes them so good? I just I don't know they everything. They can skate. They can shoot. They can pass. They got size, you know, they get to the inside. They're, like there's no blueprint to say, well, they'll never come inside or, or they, they, you know, they put them on their backhand. I mean, dry side on his backhand, he might have the best backhand in the league. So that's not working either. So it's just what they have. So uh, John Stevens back on the ice. Yeah, he had a medical procedure. He's fine. He just, he needed a week away. All right. So happy to have him back. He's chomping at the bit, had a great meeting this morning. You know, so it's good. John Stevens, the Vegas Golden Knights assistant coach, uh, back behind the bench. He was on the ice at uh, today's uh, pregame skate. Gary Lawless tells me a story that his nickname was Rambo, hmm. John Stevens, when he played. That is something that you don't want to mess with. No. And he's no. he is uh, given the chance to pick his brain a little bit around the City National Arena. Uh, head coach uh, in the National Hockey League a couple of times. And, they, boy, is he, like, the the staff behind that bench for the Vegas Golden Knights. Misha mm-hmm. Donskov was down there uh, when Stevens was out, but uh, Ryan Craig uh, and now John Stevens and Bruce Cassidy. There's there's a lot of gray matter going on <laughs> with a lot of different scenarios. They could probably sort out those clinching scenarios yep. in two seconds flat. Well, when and you're in, I think that's probably the, the one they're, they're focused on, right? Do you ever see Rambo? The Rambo movies? Uh... That's no. a no. no. That's a Chapman. No. You ever see Rambo? No. Rambo one. Rambo yeah, two? First Blood and yeah, yeah. What was the other one? They, it was, they, were, they were great. Why? Why? Why would you see them? Yeah. Why? Oh, it's like, like legitimately why? He's a machine. John Rambo is the first one. The one where he breaks out of prison and he runs amok in Oregon and then he ends up uh, overseas again. I don't know. I thought the the first one. I can't remember. There were all... one time. One time they had to call him in to save them. Yeah, and the colonel was awesome. His his best buddies <laughs> uh, actually shot the first one just outside of Vancouver in Hope, BC, and uh, and then you got the uh, the the second, third ones. It was great. It was right on the heels of Rocky, and the dudes just shredded yeah. and getting it done. But the, the the knife was the one. Like he's got this knife that just sends you. I'm not a knife or a weapons person, sure, but uh, mm-hmm. but that that knife. 
Plus, it's got a compass on it, so you know where to go. Oh, oh it shows down your spine. Yeah, yeah. it's the it, compass it, on it, the it knife that really it gets helps you. you. Oh, it. find your north star, Golly, right? Find you that are north star. A nerd. I am a <laughs> big time uh, geek. But uh, but I, if if uh, my my point is, if if John Stevens' nickname was Rambo, yep. I mean, you know, he's tough. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, I I understand the reference. Um, I don't need to see it terrible movie to understand the reference it's not but a that terrible means, movie. It's not a terrible movie guarantee it's, it's, it's terrible it, it's not a terrible movie actually it's uh, quite the entertainment now the re, the reincarnations i i haven't seen any of those and they probably they, are terrible movies them? yeah they made they a couple new rambo? ones yeah they made a new I one i don't know that yeah why, why would the world believe they need another rambo john rambo <laughs> uh, whatever yeah don't forget it john rambo oh is that like a, is that like a line in the movie well, don't that's forget just his it. name. It's, everybody forgets his, his first name. I don't know whether that, that, that's true or not. Hey, no. uh, so you, you've got Vegas and and Edmonton going tonight, and yeah. some of what Bruce was talking about is interesting. It plays into these last two games, kind of a little bit of a dress rehearsal for the for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now they'll go through it with a with a home and home with Minnesota as well, mm-hmm. uh, and they're playing out of their minds right now. Yeah. So you're getting to see. Two teams in a quick, short period of time that are really good competition. So it does give you uh, a, maybe uh, a chance to experience what your team is going to be like with adjustments from game to game. I like the fact that they played the first game against Edmonton on the road in this home-and-home, home, mm-hmm. and now you come home. It'll be different with Minnesota, so they'll be on both sides of it. Yeah, I, I like the idea of kind of starting on the road, too, which is always interesting when it comes to playoffs and, and seeding and home ice advantage and all that stuff because I, I just feel like when you are able to kind of set the tone on the road, you go into someone else's building, you win that game, all of a sudden it kind of puts all the pressure on them. But neither here nor there. The Golden Knights did what they needed to do in Edmonton, and now you kind of doubled down on that again tonight. And I thought you know, one of the things Bruce Cassidy talked about, how he trusts all four of his lines when you – when you look at the numbers, the time on ice for Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, there's going to get to there's going to be a point where you are you are just throwing them over the boards a little bit too much. And I think for the Golden Knights, if they are able to continue to kind of roll through their four lines and, and put them in those positions to succeed, then you might have more energy, especially with Edmonton coming off of a back-to-back last night in Arizona, to really catch this team and push them um, on their heels maybe later on in the game back half second period third period specifically yeah i'm guilty of this on occasion and that's criticizing whoever's coaching the edmonton oilers with dave tippett uh, sure Jay fair Woodcroft, it's fair uh, go down the list of playing connor too much or connor and leon mm. if you want to group them together but what bruce said during that media conference stuck with me today it's like if you've got those two yeah. really is saying is how do you justify playing your fourth line a decent number when you have those two horses and you can come back to back to back to back to back with with those centermen when they're split up and there's really something to that and to hear it from somebody like bruce really stood out to me it's not the wrong decision It, it, it just isn't you you have the two or two of the best players in the world. You want to roll them out as much as possible. Uh, you, you want them to play away from each other on their own line, generating and driving the, their own lines so that you can do that. 
it just will eventually come to a point. I, I believe this, as, as we've seen at times. They, they're they human, too. Even if we don't believe it, they are human, too. They will get tired. There will be diminishing returns. But the diminishing returns for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are going to be higher than what you're going to get out of your fourth line anyway. Somebody thought that they were a little winded the other night yeah. in the third period and in overtime. Is that the players being winded or the Golden Knights doing a really good job of kind of suffocating? This was phrased to me yeah. that Interesting. their top guys were, were tired. It was that, is that just because Vegas had such a strong third period and you were led to believe that? Or was there something there? Now, tonight you're playing on a back-to-back. Yeah. You'll have to, the fourth period effect that Darren Elliott uses all the time, <laughs> that they can carry over what they did last night. And that was a wild game mm-hmm. uh, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. They weren't able to, to shrug off the Coyotes for that entire night. Uh, and that was uh, that could have been disastrous for Edmonton. Mm-hmm. They found a way to win. I don't think that uh, that you spent a lot of time thinking about that, that game uh, other than they got the, the two points, so, sure. so that's fine. But can you, when you look at, at Edmonton, playing their third game in four nights, Ryan, and on the second half of a back-to-back, and you're facing Vegas for the second time in four nights. Mm -hmm. It does have an odor of potential for Vegas to jump on them. It it does. It's there for them. Now, I, I think Darren Elliott's right on the money. I would expect the Edmonton Oilers to come out hot in this one, and for the Golden Knights, you're going to have to be ready for a push through the first 10 minutes of the game. What Vegas has done so well this month is that they have been able to generally start the game on time, generally find the first goal of the game early early in the, in the first period, and it's allowed them to kind of settle into their game. Now, I think that's going to be imperative tonight against the Oilers because I do think there'll be a push from Edmonton in the first period, and I think there's a real possibility that somewhere in the middle of the second period, specifically in the third period, I think the Oilers are going to run out of gas. I think Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, they're going to hit a bump, and if Bruce Cassidy can kind of keep everything as, as even as he's been keeping it in terms of ice time up front on the back end, all that... I think the Golden Knights are going to be in a really good spot to take advantage of this team in the third period. Yeah, it, it should play out that way. It should, and especially when you factor in what I said earlier, that uh, people thought uh, that Edmonton was a little uh, out of gas in the third period against Vegas at the start of this three games and four nights. Uh, interesting that uh, Stuart Skinner is going to go tonight. It does shout to you that Edmonton's made up their mind on, on the number one goaltender. And Jonathan Quick will will answer for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money. Stuart Skinner is going to be the guy in in Edmonton unless something drastic changes over the course of this one. And you know, I think <laughs> well, we've seen that uh, things can change pretty quickly when it comes to goaltenders. They, they they can it can for sure. But I I think Stuart Skinner is going to be the guy. I mean, how can you go away from the mustache? Mustache has a great glove hand. Like one of the top glove hands on its own, that Stuart oh. Skinner mustache. If you don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> Google the headshot of Stuart Skinner. It is beautiful. Glenn Anderson in the 80s would be jealous of this guy's stash. Uh, when we continue, one-timers, news notes from around the National Hockey League, and we have a tribute to the great Tiger Williams, the NHL's all-time penalty minutes leader, Got his own little shout-out from a National Hockey Leaguer. 
through the course of the shootout. Uh, we'll explain that as we continue on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Carlson left corner, centered, one-timer, score! It's time for one-timers. one-timers. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. And you too can have a personalized cameo from me just by logging on and uh, subscribing. Yeah, that, that that easy or listen to the chirp podcast <laughs> most points since february 6th most points since february 6th that's uh, when the vegas golden knights came out of the all-star break vegas and boston with 36 we know what kind of heater vegas has been on yeah boston's been doing this all year sure have they does sure that have. not enlighten you a little bit about what the bruins have been able to do it's it's insane. It really is. Like I, I perspective, right? I it gives you a lot of perspective when you kind of factor in how well it's gone for the Golden Knights and how how much winning this team has done since the bye week and the All Star break, and then you just kind of extrapolate that out through the entire season and seventy three games, and that's just that's just what Boston's done. Eleven losses in regulation is ridiculous to me. Minnesota and Colorado are next, one point behind uh, the Golden Knights and the Bruins. Two teams battling for the Central Division lead. Yeah, I, That's min- a change from mid, mid-season. mid Yeah, Minnesota is is interesting to me. Without Kaprizov. Because they've done it without Kaprizov, but it, it's really been Matt Boldy um, blossoming into an absolute game changer. And it, it gives you kind of this idea that if, if they get Kaprizov back into the fold and Matt Boldy does not drop off from where he's been, all of a sudden the Minnesota Wild are a very, very potent team. And I wouldn't want to play him in the first round of the playoffs. Matt Boldy could be stuck in an RV in the third parking lot next to the arena and still managed to score. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I wasn't That's sure where you were going is. with that one. That uh, was interesting. So here's here's the Bruins. Uh, most points since February 6th tied with the Vegas Golden Knights at 36. Yeah. Saying that they've done it all year feeds into this. The Bruins will clinch the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and the President's Trophy tonight if they beat the Nashville Predators mm-hmm. in any fashion. And the Carolina Hurricanes lose the Tampa Bay Lightning in regulation. Yeah. Perspective. Yeah. The Boston Bruins can clinch the number one seed in the East and the President's Trophy. And there is not a single Western Conference team that has clinched a playoff spot as of yet. That is how great the Bruins have been this year. Uh, Unbelievable record. Um, I just want to take this moment to say that I was wrong this year about the Boston Bruins. Mm, yeah. Well, nobody saw that coming, but you were wrong, and it's good uh, good of you to ad- ad- admit that. So yep. they get to keep their uh, original six status for another year is what you're saying. Yep. Um, well, if, well, if I were— Wallace if, wanted to take it away. Listen, if I had the power um, to do that, yes, Chapman, they would be able to keep their original six status. You're, you're correct there. What's the latest on that Boston game tonight? Scoreless in the second period. Two and a half minutes left. Teams that have clinched so far, and this is a nightly occurrence, and uh, there's a few that uh, put uh, X's beside their team name last night. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs have punched their ticket. So Boston and Toronto are in in the Atlantic. And in the Metropolitan, Carolina, New Jersey going back, and the New York Rangers have all earned playoff spots. Five of the eight playoff positions in the East have been secured, Mm -hmm. locked down, Mm -hmm. 
and nobody from the West as of yet. But that could change tonight if everything comes together for the Vegas Golden Knights, starting with that regulation win. Yes, yes, everything will come to fruition for the Golden Knights tonight if they are able to get a win in regulation or 17 other things happen outside of them winning in regulation. Oh, and just a real quick update. The National Predators are up one nothing now on the Boston Bruins. Hmm. Chapman. Yes. Do you know who Michael Panzetta is? He plays for the Montreal Canadiens. Right. Guy with a great mustache. One of the great and long hair. Yes. Kind of like ball. me. Long uh, hair yeah, and a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a lot better looking, though. Well, somebody <laughs> said that. I was watching the game last night. They said, long hair, don't care. Yeah, It, it, it was a good line. I think it was Sam Cosentino that actually said that. So Michael Pizzetta gets the call in the shootout last night. This is a guy who scored six goals this year, has five uh, in his previous season, 11 career goals. There's a lot of different players. But Michael Pozzetta gets the call in the shootout and scores. Did you see it at all, Chapman? No, but I'm Google or I'm searching it right now. All right. P E Z Z A T T A. Yeah, I got P-E- it. All right. Here we go. I'm about he to comes watch down it. on the in the in the shootout and scores and pulls one of the greatest celebrations. I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Not the first time we've witnessed it, but he offers a tribute to the great Tiger Williams, the all-time penalty minutes leader in the National Hockey League, who once did this for the Vancouver Canucks, where Pazetta pulls a Tiger Williams and turns his stick around and rides it like a horse mm-hmm. down the ice. Now, Tiger did it in, in regulation and, and, and like through the different players. And, and was uh, was wild. I can't believe that, still can't believe, well, only a guy with all-time penalty minute lead would do that. But Pizzetta did it last night and was pointing and uh, showcasing, showing off to the crowd. It was, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, I I will say I love the, the Selly where you just do not care what is coming out and what is happening. You're just in the moment with it, and that was Michael Pozzetta. Uh The riding of the stick, the, the gesticulations with the hands. Um, he was pointing at everybody. In everybody. fact, he started pointing back to people yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. He was going around for another for another lap. I, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it, it's, it's fun, and boy, oh, boy, should we celebrate fun. Now, you know what, Darren? You're a golf guy. And when I saw the Selly, it reminded me of my all-time favorite golfer, guy by the name of Boo Weekly. And yeah, when the yeah, U.S. Yeah. won the Ryder Cup, yeah, I want to say it was 2008. I don't know, but he was riding his uh, golf club yeah, like, uh, off like, the tee. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Sticking yeah. it to the Euros in your face. We just beat you. So what do you think of uh, Pizzetto doing that? Love it. Love yeah. it. Fantastic. Give so me more I, of that. I thought I'd do a solid and reach out to Tiger Williams. Oh, and the Tiger and I have uh, have been friendly. He also scares me to death. <laughs> but uh, so I'm, I'm I'm very positive and pro Tiger when I'm around Tiger. Uh, we did a couple of uh, trips to visit troops in Afghanistan in Kandahar, mm-hmm. and so we long flight over, long flight back. Uh, a lot of time to hang out. So I sent him a note just saying it was awesome. What a tribute! And his response is, "Bazetta owes me a pizza." <laughs> <laughs> 
it was, it was, there was nothing else. I thought there'd be like, uh, what a great kid, or hey, that's my thing. Like, t- Tiger's a little territorial. Uh, there'd be something along that line. No, uh, Pizzetta owes me a pizza. Fantastic. A- and that's it. So here's a great Tiger Williams story. Oh, do we have time? We have got, got time. So Tiger's playing for the Hartford Whalers. Okay. And he gets either kicked off the team or cut or something. Something happens. He's not with the team anymore, but they owe him cash. Oh. They owe him money. Yeah. And he's having trouble getting paid. So while he's not with the team, he starts hanging out with a biker group. I'm not going to call it a gang. I'm just going to call it a biker group. <laughs> All right? Okay. So in the old Hartford Civic Center, there is this ramp that, that you go went down that teams would take. And then it would take you literally right into the Hartford Whalers dressing room. Oh, okay. So the, the, these guys that, Hart, uh, that he's hanging out with say, uh, we'll, we'll get your money back. So he rides with his Harley. And with these this group of bikers, they ride down the ramp of the Hartford Civic Center. And they, with their motorcycles, right into the Hartford Whalers dressing room. All these motorcycles, the team's like, I don't know, they're stretching, probably not back then, yeah. uh, doing whatever. And this guy tells the coach, we're not leaving until he gets his money. <laughs> Guess what happened? He got his money. He got his money. Yeah, I figured. I keep telling Tiger, he's got to write a book. He's <laughs> like These these uh, tales are awesome. Those are your one-timers for this Tuesday, March on Fox wait, Sports. Wait, 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 We've got oh, tickets. We got tickets. We do we have tickets. tickets, yes. Do you want to give them away? Sure, I can give them away. Game is on Thursday, the 6th of April, against the L.A. Kings. Could be a big game. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here. But uh, how about caller 12? Jonathan Quick game. That's what I'm calling that. 702-876-1340 is the number. Why wouldn't you give the number, Chapman? Well, I leave that to you because I know you mess it up half the time. Yeah. 876-1340, area code 702, 10-digit number. Call now. Caller 12. Catching up with Chapman's next. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. Oh, Christopher. Hi, Darren. So the Tiger Williams stuff really, really intrigues me because I, I don't think, and you would probably be a better one to tell me this, he was not the inspiration for Ogie Oglethorpe in no, Slapshot? No, 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 There's a real-life... Uh, I've got the book, actually. There's a real-life uh, Ogie Oglethorpe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Tiger Williams, in his NHL career, in the regular season, spent 3,971 minutes in the penalty box, which equates to almost three days, 2.75 days. And if you include the playoffs, it jumps up to 4,426 minutes which is just over three full days. Imagine what he could have done with those three full days instead of sitting in the penalty box. Well, a lot of 10-minute misconducts. Hey, they count all the same, though, right? I Towards know, that but minute you're not actually, a lot of times you're not kicked uh, You're not kicked to the penalty box. You're kicked out of the game. That well, I mean. Hey, I'm not going to tell him that. I'll no, tell no. you that, and you can tell him that. No, no, I'm not. No, listen, I'm not. Even even at sixty nine years old, I think he could probably put a whooping on me. Oh, so. he's so strong. He goes he goes bear hunting, and in the in the Rockies, uh, and and bow hunting, and hauls him on himself. Like the dude is strong. <laughs> so so who was the real life inspiration for Ogie Oglethorpe? I'll tell you tomorrow because I've got the book at home. 
All right. And, okay. Uh, and uh, a buddy of mine wrote it, and it's fascinating. And he was, he was. They might have tamed the real the movie version down a little bit <laughs> from the real life Ogie. I, I'll, I'll give you the book to read. Okay. I, I'm, I'm all in. Ogie Oglethorpe is a character in Slapshot. Yes, I should have uh, should have yeah prefaced that by letting people because maybe not everyone's seen that movie as many times as I have. How many times have you seen it? Probably twenty. It's it gets to be a point like Caddyshack after a while, where it becomes like short stories instead of one big movie. Yeah, well, here's here's a cool thing. Years ago, we did a promotion at one of the movie theaters in town where we showed Slapshot and Caddyshack back to back for the listeners. No way. Yes. I mean, talk about two two of the greatest sports movies ever made, and you got to watch them for the price of one movie, and it, it was cool. A double feature. Yes. Kids don't even know what that means. No, anymore. even I don't know what that means. But you do so. I'm not. I'm. I'm not old, Darren. What's a double feature? Uh, I don't know. You get two movies. Exactly. <laughs> See, you problem solved. Atta boy. Good job. Uh, Oilers, Vegas Golden Knights. Fox Sports Las Vegas, the pregame show starts now live from T-Mobile Arena.